Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. MLK FBI is an essential expose of the surveillance and harassment of Dr. Martin Luther King labeled by the FBI as the most dangerous black person in America, undertaken by J. Edgar Hoover and the U.S. government. Based on newly discovered declassified files, as well as revelatory restored footage, the documentary explores the government's history of targeting black activists. The film is directed by Emmy Award-winning and Oscar nominee Sam Pollard. It recounts the tragic story with searing relevance for our current moment. Sam Pollard, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. Hope you're well. I, I am doing well. What brought you to this project? What brought you to the idea of doing a, a film about the FBI? It, and it, was, it was a book by, written by David Garrow that looked at the relationship between Dr. King and J. Edgar and the FBI and how they were surveilling him for many years. And my producer on this film, Benedine, read the book. And he thought it would be a good film, for a second film for us. We'd already done a film called Two Trains Running. So I read the book. I completely agreed with him. And I happen to know David Garrow because he had been one of our major advisors when I worked on Eyes on the Prize too. So I said, yeah, man, this is this is, it should be a film. So we reached out to David Garrow, who lives in Pittsburgh. We took an option on the book. We ended up going out to Pittsburgh, got a camera crew to go to his house. And we spent four to five hours with him sort of, sort of laying out the whole book for us on his audio and video that we used basically to frame the whole film. There is a lot of, as I alluded to in the introduction, there's a lot of footage may not have been seen widely before the you before this film. Um, was it was gathering kind of the this material uh, a challenge? How did in terms of putting the the film together? What was what were some of the the bigger challenges in terms of assembling what you wanted in terms of the footage around the life, Dr. Martin. You know, the, the biggest challenge always is to do a deep, as deep a dive as possible in trying to find archival material that's going to help shape the narrative. And we knew there was lots of archival material about the civil rights movement from the 50s up until Dr. King's assassination. But we still had to dig in for the stuff about the FBI, the stuff that, that sort of created the mythology of the FBI. And then we asked our archival producers, both Brian Becker you know, and Sheila Minar, to basically see if they can uncover some stuff that we had never seen or heard before. Right. And Brian did a great job in finding some material that I had never even seen, because I thought I had seen lots of it. I mean, for example, the interview of Dr. King with that young reporter when he was a young man in Montgomery, Alabama. Never saw that before. The footage of Dr. King with his wife and his kids and his parents when those kids were young, I had yeah. never seen that footage before. Right. The footage of Scotland Yard having James O'Reilly in custody. I'd never seen that footage before. So it was, this was like gold mine to me. It was like a gold mine. But you know, sometimes I look at documentary filmmakers, particularly when you're dealing with archive, I look at us as archeologists who are going to a dig, trying to uncover new things, new heads, new arms, new legs, you know, to tell a story. And we did, we found new stuff to help shape this story. I know that for people of, of my age group, um, to say who is Martin Luther King and what was he would be ridiculous. But we're also, there are people who know him maybe only by the holiday and sort of the attendant sort of ceremonial things around his, that, that holiday, unfortunately. 
in obviously in an abbreviated version, how, where would you place Martin Luther King in terms of American history and his importance? He's up there with uh, Lincoln, G. Dub, George Washington, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know, Booker T. Washington. He's up there with all these people. He's like kind of presence. I mean, you know, he was a human being like all these men were. He had his flaws, but his agenda was a very powerful one to integrate America, to take it out of the, the dark ages of segregation and Jim Crowism. You know, and that's 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 his legacy. That's an important part of his legacy. You know, I was I was 18 years old when Dr. King was assassinated. You know, it was two days after my birthday, April 4th, 1968. And I remember thinking, this is really a tumultuous period of American history. Just think about this, you know, my five years before John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And less than three months later, Bobby Kennedy after King's death would be assassinated. You know, and you had you know, you had the burgeoning Black Power Movement, you had the Black Panthers, you had the anti-war protesters, you had Johnson torn apart because, you know, here he had created the Great Society in one hand, and here he refused to get outside of Vietnam. I mean, this was a phenomenal period in American history. The Tet Offensive, the, the Johnson not running for re-election because of the opposition to him because of Vietnam. The, the war, uh, absolutely. The Olympics with Tommy Smith. Juan Carlos, John Carlos, John Carlos, pardon me. And just there were, every, this was the Tet Offensive. There were so many things in 1960. I think personally the most consequential year. I would, maybe there's an argument to be made for the last year or so of, of our lives, but certainly the most consequential year of my life until recently, easily. Uh, that's what I thought until recently. Man. Yeah, until recently. We're, we're living, we're living some phenomenal history. Yeah. Some very complicated history in America now, man. I, I mean, I've been around a long time, but I've never saw history like I've seen unfold in the last four years. Okay, so getting back to MLK, FBI, the, the documentary that we're talking about, and how not only did Dr. King do what you described earlier, but he did it using nonviolent means. He uh, completely, in some ways, um, not, ex I mean, he had gleaned much of this from uh, Mahatma Gandhi and others who have used that as an, an effective way of making the political and social and cultural argument for the inclusion of all in basic civil rights in our country. But he had done it in a way, in addition to that, as an incredible orator, someone who could really be a spokesperson um, just in so many different ways. He's such a consequential figure. Is that fair? Am I, is that a fair assessment? Well, you know this. <laughs> <laughs> Could I, how can I argue with anything you just said? That, that, that's historic. Everybody knows that, man. Anybody who knows history. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, in addition to the, 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 uh, the footage and just sort of retelling the story, we also have this other uh, consequential in, uh, in figure in American history, J. Edgar Hoover, who created the FBI. He sort of embodies this sort of institutional resistance to what Dr. King is trying to accomplish. And it's not just that he's he's resisting, he has the full power and force of the American government in his on his side. Talk about this sort of dynamic and why was J. Edgar Hoover so adamant about his his the way in which he he looked at Dr. King? Well, because listen, here was a man, a white man, grew up in an America where when you think about America from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, there was an America that basically white people, black people were on the fringes, man. You know, if you saw black people, you saw them as butlers or maids 
were taking care of white kids, you know, the shoeshine boys, you know, even though they were black professionals, we didn't see those people, not in the cinema, not on the television show, you know. So all of a sudden here comes a man, even though he's a nonviolent activist, who's basically saying, we want our place at the table. That had to frighten Jay Gould because he's really, you know, he's really a symbol of many of Americans at that time. He basically said, uh-oh, who's this man? He's changing the way we see America, the way America's been, you know, presented to us for so many years. How dare he, you know? So, you know, it was like he was, it wasn't like that Jay Gould was an aberration. <laughs> he was basically the voice of many people in America. If you go back and watch the film, and those men on the street interviews was one of those men where the white man say, says, he says, Hoover says King is terrible, but I think his King is 10 times worse. And then the white woman says, I don't like him because he's uppity. You know, it's, it's, how, we, it's how they wanted to, 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 to perceive us and see us. Now here's a man who's basically, who's a great orator, who's very articulate and saying, we want to be a part of the mainstream. That was frightening to people. You know, so it doesn't surprise me that Hoover basically says he has to be undermined, he has to be destroyed because he's going to change what America is. And like lots of us, man, people are re resistant to change. So what's Jay Hoover's first strategy? Let's see if this man's connected with the Communist Party, which, right. as you know, in the 50s, the Red Scare was like, like fighting the Nazis and the Japanese, you know. The Reds, the communists are going to take over this America, infiltrate America. And here's King having a relationship with a former communist, Stanley Levinson. He must be flirting with communist propaganda. So when they when they had had Bobby Kennedy, you know, give them permission to wiretap King, and then he learns that King is not just a, you know, a civil rights activist, but he's a man who has multiple relationships outside of his marriage. That becomes the bone that he says. I think that can help us take King down. Knowing full well that here we were, you know, Mike, in the 60s, the press, the press didn't take on that sensationalistic stuff like they do today. They didn't want to know about the people's personal lives, JFK's personal life, Martin Luther King's personal life. So they didn't, they didn't grab onto it. But Hoover and William Sullivan and other members of the FBI, FBI were tenacious in wanting to destroy Dr. King's reputation. That's why they sent that letter to Coretta Scott King, basically intimating that maybe King should kill himself with that audio tape, basically supposedly with him with another woman. I mean, this is some dastardly stuff, but in many ways, Mike, it doesn't surprise me about our government. I mean, we have a government that has toppled presidents and, and people in other countries to put in dictators. And this is supposed to be an American democracy, but if it doesn't serve our purposes, we go to we go to any lengths to change it. Well, we only have to go back to 1953 and understand what happened in Iran. Exactly, with the, the Shah, with, with the and with the installation of the Shah, the, the most repressive regime in the region, and that's saying something for for that time. And, and I'm so glad that uh, once again we have an opportunity to hear more about not only did the FBI effort to discredit uh, Dr. King was it sustained for his entire life but it also continued to sort of ramp up you mentioned the the you know the, the imploring him to kill himself otherwise they were going to release this information about him but also the COINTEL program which thankfully is is a, a part of this film in which it, it became a systematic attempt to destroy the civil rights movement in the country by almost any means necessary and not just the civil rights movement man i mean 
They, they were basically monitoring the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad. They were monitoring Malcolm X. They were monitoring the Black Panther Party. Any group that they thought, you know, was going to sort of oh, undercut democracy, right. you got to change it. You got right. to destroy it. Well, and let's not forget, in my opinion, one of the most one of the more glaring examples is the assassination of Fred Hampton. Let's let's not forget. <sighs> I mean, that was a straight up assassination in Chicago, yeah. an activist, very effective activist who was essentially assassinated by the FBI. Yeah. I remind our listeners, we're speaking with Sam Pollard. He's the director of this remarkable documentary film called MLK FBI. And it is going to be in theaters here on January 15th here in Los Angeles. You can see it at the Cine Lounge and be looking for this. You can go to MLKFBI.com to find out more information about the film, but also where it will be screening Please check this out. Uh, the reason I, one of the reasons I want to bring up Fred Hampton and the FBI, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. How much, if any, if at all, did the FBI either have something to do or stood by and allowed something to happen to Dr. King? Or do you want to go down this road? I want to make sure you're okay with this. I'm fine with it. I, listen, you know and I know, how is it possible how is it possible a man who's being monitored by the FBI basically 24-7? As Chuck Knox, the former FBI agent, says in the film, anytime King and his associates were going to another city, the FBI had all hands on deck. What did that mean? That mean they had agents at those cities, in those hotels, bugging those rooms where King and his associates were going to stay to monitor everything they were doing. So how is it possible that Dr. King his associates are in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Motel, and they not know that there's someone out there who wants to take this man out. It just doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. His, his assassination also, there's another kind of circumstantial piece of evidence, and that is he was assassinated one year to the day after he gave the Beyond Vietnam speech at Riverside Church. Riverside in, Church, that's yeah, right. In, in New York. It's hard not to, for my mind to go there. Right. He gives a speech in which he is widely chastised by the entire establishment, the well called white establishment, certainly the powerful for for even raising the specter that our involvement in Vietnam was was immoral, dishonest, whatever, all the things he said. It's an amazing speech, by the way, people. It's a one hour speech. It's I, it's just an amazing speech. It, it's, it lays it out the different the, the sicknesses in the United States and in our society. It's just hard for me not to think that one year to the day that he was that he's he lay dead. You don't have to go there with me, but it's hard not to for me. Well, so. I agree. I completely agree with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's n none of these things in some ways aren't happenstance in this history of America. You know, some of these things are really calculated and worked out. What did you learn about Dr. King uh, in, in the making of this film that uh, you either didn't know or have a better understanding uh, understanding of him as a person or a, of his work? What would you say? I, I, I just felt that, you know, in doing this documentary, we were just trying to show that he was a human being. He was a man. Yeah. He had his flaws, yeah. you know, but he also did phenomenally great things. And, and we wanted to, I wanted to show that part of him, that those parts of his life. That, that's, what I, that's what I came away with. Well, my congratulations to you, and not only for this, but for so many other films um, that Eyes on the Prize you mentioned earlier, and so many, many others, Requiem in Four Acts, Slavery by Any Other Name, Sammy Davis Jr., I Gotta Be Me, and Acorn, by the way, um, others, there are many others. So, Sam Pollard, thank you for the work, 
Thank you for, uh, for this particular work, MLK, FBI. And I look forward to another conversation with somewhere down the line. Thank you, Sam. Love to, Mike. Take care of yourself. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.